Welcome to TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. The presenting sponsor of TalkScript is SitePen, a JavaScript consultancy helping companies improve their apps, tools, and teams. Check it out at sitepen.com. Let's find out if TalkScript is your type of podcast. Hello, and welcome to the TalkScript podcast. I am your host, Brian Forbes. And after a long hiatus, because of all the work we did for TSConf and NEJS, and JSConf. And JSConf. Man, we did a lot. After a long hiatus, I have with me Nick Nisi. Hello. And Paul Shannon. Hey, it's good to be back. It is. It's Woo. very good to be back. Since we're back, let's do a quick TypeScript community update. We don't have a lot because a lot of the updates came out at TSConf. But TypeScript updated their community page. And so now with a pull request to TypeScript or to one of the repos, you too can add your community to the TypeScript community page. And it it eliminates, what was it? I think it was TypeScript.events. And the, the maintainer of that worked with the TypeScript community, with the TypeScript developers, and got that integrated into TypeScriptLang.org. So eventually the Phoenix TypeScript Community will have theirs up there. Go ahead and uh, navigate over there. We'll, we'll put the link in the show notes uh, and check out all the communities. There might be one near you. And if there's not, feel free to start one. That's really all we have for the community updates. Like I said, a lot of the new stuff came out at TSConf, and so we're still kind of digesting that. And Yeah. So TSConf, Paul and I were both there. Paul, what was your favorite talk? I think the one that was most interesting and it gives me the most hope is is the Dino talk. Like I, I really like having this sandboxed node with TypeScript support in a browser. I, I mean I guess I shouldn't call it node, but it, it's kind of there to to take the place of, of a lot of that backend runtime stuff. So having that, it just you know, having something that solves the problems outright and makes TypeScript a first class language in the tool is something that I'm really, really looking forward to. Yeah, me too. That was really cool to see. And it and it comes from friend of the show, Kits and Kelly. Yeah, Ryan Dahl and Kits and Kelly are working on it. Yeah. And they spoke yeah. at TSConf and it was cool to see and I have a lot of hope for, you know, the future there. That's awesome. And Ryan Dahl, who is also the original creator of Node. Yeah. So I didn't go to TSConf, so I'm eagerly awaiting all of the videos. What was your favorite talk, Nick? Oh, I loved them all, you know? You can't. Uh, that's nope. so nice of you, Nick. Nope. You're too nice. <laughs> no, nope. pick a side. Come on. Pick um, one. I'm going to say that I really liked the... There, there was a demo by the Make Code Arcade, game, uh, Make Code Arcade team where they were showing how they use TypeScript as, as a language for teaching coding via game like arcade game creation and it was it was pretty cool to to see that they had a really cool demo and it's something that i want to look into uh, a bit more yeah that when the tweets about that came out they, they had some cool slides and and it looked like the demo was really neat everybody was kind of freaking out about it so that's that's definitely something else that that looked pretty neat it's a great project my my kids have a circuit playground express from adafruit which uses the the make code stuff and it switches between blocks programming 
and TypeScript-ish, although they call it JavaScript. It's such a, a cool way to get in and, and learn programming for, for people that are tinkerers. That's pretty neat. I also really liked Anders' talk. Obviously, he had the keynote. It was uh, it was just really cool. He was showing you know some of the big things that they've done in, in TypeScript 3.7, and we've talked about that on this show before. Yep. And they, there's just... They're, they're really making a lot of really great progress in terms of like developer ergonomics, I think, with the language. So it's it's just good to see that. And so fun to see how passionate he is about, about TypeScript. Yeah. There, there was a question during the panel where Anders was asked, what's coming up for TypeScript 4.0? Because we know it's coming. And a lot of it was, you know, we're looking to the community for those answers, which I think on the back end says hey, we've solved a lot of the big problems. Like, let's look at what it's going to take to to make it a better experience. Like you said, developer ergonomics. Well, and I think the, the other thing is, is that a lot of the things that, that TypeScript was doing in the beginning have now moved into JavaScript. Not yet. You know, <laughs> well, like I imports, mean, exports, decorators. Okay, well, no, 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 no. So I'm not, I'm not talking about those things, but like okay. the spread operators and those sorts of stuff, you know, that, that you could do with, with ba- to a certain extent with, with Babel at the time. When TypeScript came out, all of that, all of those ergonomic things that were really nice to have, that didn't really exist in JavaScript, so to speak. And so now TypeScript with, with the ES committee, you let me know if we want us to jump into that conversation there, Brian. <laughs> I know, right? With the ES, golly, with the ES committee integrating those back into JavaScript, TypeScript really does get to start working on, you know, type specific problems. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it will be neat to see what they come up with for for four. Yeah, and I, I really do admire their their continued position that they they do not want to replace TypeScript or uh, JavaScript with TypeScript. Right. Yeah. They want to strictly be a superset of of JavaScript and that is shown through like they're they're working with TC39 to push things like knowledge coalescing. Yeah. Uh, and optional chaining things like that before it gets implemented into the language like even though that is something that people have wanted forever in TypeScript they just weren't going to do it. They weren't going to add extra features that yep. JavaScript doesn't have. Instead, they'll work to get it in JavaScript and then they can safely add it, which yep. is just really great to have so much uh, of the community behind doing that. And then they stick to, you know, we are we are a superset that is like our, one of our design goals for the language. That is, that's admirable, I think. And it's one of the reasons I love TypeScript. It's because I, I don't want it to replace JavaScript, but uh, I never want to write JavaScript without TypeScript now. <laughs> <laughs> One cool thing that they, that uh, I, I guess we did last year at TSConf was we got on the what's new and or the TypeScript roadmap page with changing the the error messages to haikus. Yeah. And so this year, when Anders demoed some updated error messages that were much more helpful in TypeScript 3.7, I, I felt inspired and and actually came up with a limerick that could be used instead. So I think that that's what we'll push for this year is getting limericks. And, and with your permission, I'd like to, to read this limerick for you. <laughs> Go next. You have my, you have my permission. <laughs> your argument foo has a gripe. It's an incompatible type. Here's a suggestion. Make this correction. Join number and string with a pipe. <laughs> that's pretty good. I think that one should go in. Exactly. But yeah, it was, it was a really cool conference. 
I, like I said, I'm excited for the videos to come out. There's always talks that, that kind of transcend kind of the ethos or the the community at the time. And it seemed like there was quite a few of those at at TSConf. So I'm I'm super excited about it. Yeah, the talks were all fantastic. All right. Well, let's get into our topic for today. And it seems like it's a topic that keeps coming up over and over and over. There were quite a few talks about this at NEJS. I think there were a couple at TSConf. Hang on, I'm I'm queuing up the old man yells at cloud meme to add to the show notes for this section. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> shaking shaking your cane at the kids walking across the lawn, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, and and it's the problem of tooling and trying to solve a problem, a small problem, and then having to use tooling that doesn't quite fit that. Paul, you kind of brought this to our attention. Why don't you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, so creating like passion projects nowadays, it kind of it kind of sucks cuz whenever you want to kind of start a project now, you you start with your idea and it's all glorious and you're like, "Well, I just want to do this one thing." And if you want to start it in like React or Dojo or Angular or something with the CLI, okay, fine. You just you bring up that CLI and you tell it to init and then it lots out a whole bunch of stuff, a massive amount of stuff. But if you don't fit into any of those boxes, all of a sudden you're, you're kind of without a safety net. And, and so I hate starting passion projects, like, especially for like web VR or web RTC or different things that don't fit into the prescribed forms nature of development nowadays. Like everything is a form you know, I've said it before, but, and, and reactive programming really fits well into that. But anytime you're outside of that box, you're really on your own. And so now you have to worry about all of your, your non-functional requirements of your project. So it's like, oh, well, I need a server so I can run anything with HTTPS. So you have to like set up a server and then you have to worry about how you're going to like bundle it and what kind of loader you're going to use. So a lot of people are just like, well, I'll put in Webpack and that's great if you have like a, a Webpack config, you can maybe copy and paste over. But I mean, now you're starting on all these requirements before you actually get to what you want to do. You're like, oh, well, I want to deploy it somewhere. So I have to figure out how to deploy it now. And I have to do like all of these things. I have to get all my ducks in a row before I actually tackle like what I want to do. So what you want to do is put on this massive back burner and you have to like get all of these, these pre-requirements done before you actually get to do anything fun. And so I was telling you guys about uh, a, a tool that I had put together called WebSurf. And the idea is that it's, it's a development server that kind of works as a man in the middle to solve a lot of these problems. And, and the reason I made this was twofold. And, and one was you can't, you can't do a lot of this development right now without solving a bunch of these non-functional requirements. But if you had a server that kind of did those things in the middle, you could actually use like ESM modules nowadays. There's a whole bunch of problems with using ESM modules, especially in TypeScript, which like, you know, we've chatted about before and we'll probably get into today, but you know, having a server that acts as a man in the middle can just solve those problems for you and serve things up how JavaScript expects in the browser. And then you have like one less thing to think about. 
TypeScript, you don't have to have that loader and bundler anymore because ESM would take care of it. And like this web, this web serve project that I kind of put together kind of gets in the middle of that and, and serves up your files as the browser expects them to be rather than how they might be on your, your file system. It acts as that bridge. And then the other thing is I actually wrote this or, or a version of this a long time ago before I was at, at SitePen where uh, I had this project called Grunt Dev Server. And back in the day, it was to just get a dev server up and running using a configuration so you didn't have to write the backend code for it. And so like this is a project that's morphed several times into this web serve now, which is like a CLI first zero configuration project. But one of the things that that project did and, and what I want for web serve to do too is to act as like a, an intermediary as, for front end developers. So as you're developing something, oftentimes you have a front end and a back end. And sometimes the people that are experts on the front end aren't full stack. So they're not also working on the back end, but they still need to make progress on a feature. So that links back to the back end. And so what WebServe has is basically predefined routes that solve predefined problems. Like there's, it, it not only can serve files or it can serve as a proxy, but you can also tell it, hey, just set up a CRUD server or a CRUD route at this place. And everything's in memory because it's a development server. But while your backend works on solving the problem completely, you can start working on your front end at the same time. But you can also use it, you know, hey, if you're doing a passion project, it's like, I need a simple CRUD server for this example on glitch.com. So I'm just going to like use this same paradigm and, and stand up some simple CRUD server there. Anyway, yeah, like I, things have gotten really hard as like anybody who wants to start a fun project probably knows. And I don't know, you guys, what do you do when you have to start a fun, you know, like you have a passion project. It's like, I just want to get this out and like, or experiment. Like what's your go-to for that? Well, for me, if it's, if it's like truly going to be something where like I'm going to use React or Dojo or something then I will just start with the boilerplate app that the CLI creates for me. So that's create react app or Dojo CLI. If it's not that, then I will typically uh, take the, like, like if I just want to start like a vanilla Java uh, TypeScript project, for example, I'll typically go to my most recent TypeScript project and copy the TS config and then make <laughs> whatever slight modifications I need and go from there. And same thing goes for like a webpack config if, if I'm doing that. Uh, so <laughs> Yeah, it's usually just like take the most recent thing that's that's I know that kind works. of works. Yeah. <laughs> and then slightly tweak it and then hope that that the next time I can copy this one and it'll slightly work. So yeah, it's it's fun. And like for me, it's been a long time since I've done like a side project that's that's a web app. Like usually it's some sort of web page or I wrote a bot for Discord. Like I because of the just the massive amount of like you're talking about like the I have to I have to pick a framework before I want to actually do any work you know what I'm saying like I have to do all this this these meta decisions that have n basically nothing to do with the work that I want to get done I just don't do <laughs> I just don't do it so like even even with like generating a static site anymore how many static site generators are out there? One, just Dojo, just Dojo. <laughs> <laughs> you got Hugo, and you've got Hexo. Eleven D Hexo. I mean, 
that's just Jack three, Lee. and I know there's there's more out there, but like there's just all this like these meta decisions of. I remember when I was doing my GeoCities page, it was what FTP browser do I want to use? It wasn't this. How do I want to generate my my pages? Now I think we've come a long ways, and I'm not saying I want to go back to GeoCities, but there comes a point where I think developer fatigue is real, and these these meta decisions sometimes are are just crazy. Creativity, which, you know, they, they 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 do they do. Like I just I just don't even want to start a a pet project or a passion project, right? Because it it's just it's exhausting, like. I don't even want to deal with it. So I'm just going to go read a book instead. <laughs> you know, like I'll let somebody else do it. Yeah. And it's, it's more, more than just like, you know, getting the, the development environment set up, which used to just be, you know, open up this code in a browser, this JavaScript code in a browser and it's there, but now. Or use Nginx to, to serve a directory and, and just have something output your like i mean like with a dojo i remember like doing a dojo like an old dojo app dojo one you your files in a directory that nginx was serving you saved your files and then hit refresh and boom it was there you didn't have a dev dev server that was doing a build live and and all this stuff i mean like today you could you could technically have um like webpack just sit there with a watcher and just spit your files out and then have nginx serve that directory but getting to that point is crazy yeah mm-hmm. and, and that's it takes what i time like when i to, to do the compile you know webpack on top of typescript on top of everything else takes time to you know for your compile you have to wait for it constantly how much overlap does does something like webserve have with with like pika i don't know too much about pika what i understand is it's similar to uh stencil isn't it and in that it's a design no, so so Pika is is just trying to get modern modules to the browser. Number one, it's kind of like a oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like they they pick the they only pick the modules that that have ESM capabilities. Curated, curated. Thank you. It's a curated registry, and it basically what it is is it's it. I think it's a package manager that just gets you modules that you can just use and serve statically. So as you're as you're like describing this 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 problem and and web webserve I immediately I'm thinking of Fred Schott's talk from NEJSConf. If you haven't if you haven't watched that listeners go watch it it's it's fantastic. And check out episode 42 of TalkScript. Definitely. And like I was just I was very much reminded by his talk of the old Dojo days where your files just sat there and were just served out and the browser requested them. Right, and then you didn't worry about a build until the until you actually needed one. That was the beauty of AMD, really, because it just like you could build it and it and it would be fast. But then during development, it would just manage the script tags for you and load everything. And and yeah, that that was how I got started at SitePen. Actually, like one of the first things I did was exactly what you you were talking about, Brian, was creating an nginx config. And I was running DNS, like a DNS server locally. So any directory that I put into like a code directory inside of my home directory, like all I had to do was type in that directory name .dev in my browser, and it was immediately serving up that site. And so every project was like that. I only had one server and it was really easy. And you easy only had and... to set it up once. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, see, those patterns are those patterns are conducive to creativity. Like it gets out of your way and it gives you an opportunity to like write code. And I'm not saying we should get rid of TypeScript, of course. None of us are saying that, but uh, because it offers, you know, I don't think any of us are saying get rid of Webpack, get rid of TypeScript. Don't we're not saying get rid of any of those, but like only we we should we should only (laughs) have to introduce those tools when we need them. Mostly at an enterprise level or when we're ready to deploy or a when we're ready serious to deploy. production project. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to, to, to easily start a project, just a basic project. I shouldn't have to invoke create react app, you know, like that shouldn't be my go-to to say, you know, how do you start a project? Oh, create react app. Are you using react? No, it's just easy. Yeah, yeah, I've heard people using Create React app and they don't even use the React portion of it. It's just to right. get the webpack and server. everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because yeah. all of those tools are too hard to manage. Because you the... need a CLI a, a lot of times now. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's that's interesting. But like I think that that it's been trade-offs, right? We've traded off the instantaneous simplicity of web development for better tooling that just takes in most cases like a compile step like yeah. typescript is a great example of that i i just finished a project in javascript and i miss typescript deeply so <laughs> yeah you know uh, you I can don't use give... you can use typescript with javascript you know I, yeah and it, it mostly yeah so type, there, right. there was typescript there was is always that just good. Were different oh sorry go ahead there, there was things that just were were different in that project like really there was too much reliance on like coercion in in places mm, that just yeah. felt like i would never write this anymore what is going on yeah yeah um, or, or typescript would never allow me to write this <laughs> right exactly but then like other things like do you remember how painful dom stuff was before like before jsx for example like oh, sure. in, in dojo like it, it was okay but we had you know the separate template file mm-hmm. with the the long data dash dojo attributes everywhere Sure. And that that was nice, but like I think one of the pinnacles of of that era was put selector. And that's what we used in in Dgrid. And, and that was yeah. basically like that was almost like a hyperscript variant uh in the oh, way. For sure. That, yeah, it totally was. Yeah. And like today I wouldn't even want to write hyperscript directly. Like because JSX just it just does clicks it, yeah. in my mind yeah. now. So it's it's a series of trade-offs for a better development experience overall. For sure. For sure. Yeah, JSX is funny. Uh, it's funny because JSX is one of the reasons I wrote WebServe is because when you when you use declarative programming like JSX, it limits you from the imperative programming that you might want to do if you wanted to use something like Canvas or if you wanted to use something like WebRTC or you wanted to use something like even A-Frame or something like that. Or, or Babylon JS, like all of these things rely on having imperative parts to them. And there's, there's not a lot that, that serve that because, you know, business doesn't revolve around imperative the way it does declarative. Like if you have a form, you have a business, like <laughs> that tends to be how things work, but we're missing like this whole section of, of code. And a lot of the creativity is on that side. A lot of it's in real time, like creating real time audio or any kind of audio. You need, you really want to have an imperative base for that. If you want video, if you want like any of this stuff, now you're like, you have to create solutions. And ESM is, is is a good 
solution. It's a, it's a good promise of a solution. Let me say. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Because there's a long ways for it to go. And, and TypeScript people have already kind of like jumped on to ESM and, and probably Babel as well, because the imports and exports and the idea of having static analysis is there as a promise. There's a lot, a lot that hasn't been solved with ESM modules and, and, you know, like one of them that I ran into with writing WebServe and that I'm working on solving right now is that when you have an, when you compile the ESM modules as your target for TypeScript, it just outputs the import and export statements, which is problematic. In the, in the, the, you're talking about in in the produced JavaScript, because I, you were telling me this the other day and I I was really confused and I'm just like, what, (laughs) what are you talking about? Yes. But yeah, yeah. In the output JavaScript. Is what you're saying. Yeah. And the, the generated. Com- the generated or compiled, uh, transpiled, whatever term you want to use. In the transpiled JavaScript, it just outputs the import-export statements, which is fine for Webpack because Webpack, as a target, accepts that. However... It's just, it's just Node. Cause it, it's just using Node lookups. No, kind of. I don't know. It, yeah, it's using kind of Node-style lookups. Yeah, that's Node what I mean. is Node is another treat, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> Because Node wants to use... It's like, almost like we have these two disparate targets. and We have three, to... unfortunately. So Webpack yeah, is no. one that accepts TypeScript, imports and exports as they're written. The browser wants to have an extension, which is what the actual specification says. Yeah. So when you're using import and export with ESM modules, it wants to have .js. And are if you you're telling me that none of us are actually writing real no. ES module imports and exports? No, and if you go on to the, I, which I did, if you go onto the TypeScript issue trackers, it's all over the place. And people are like, why can't you just like rewrite the extension and add .js or add m.js in the case of Node? Why can't you just do this and that? And it's like, and, and they're, it looks like the TypeScript folk are just kind of saying, we don't have good answers for this and we don't think ESM is done yet. So we're just on, in a holding pattern. But at the same time, they, if you do, if you add an extension to an import, it it, it ignores it, and, and it'll it'll compile it out. So if you put .js on all your stuff, it will export that, and and it'll compile appropriately. Like TypeScript will ignore the extension, and in your output, it'll have .js as the browser expects. So when you go to do your tab com- when you go to do your tab completion, just remember tab .js. <laughs> yeah. Right. But also, if, you write, if you're writing any TypeScript that's supposed to compile using ESM modules that are supposed to work across Node and uh, Node and the browser, or, or I don't even know how Webpack factors into all of this, but if Node and the browser want different extensions, Node wants m dot, or at dot .mjs to signify that it's using ESM modules. Yeah. Is that a thing, though, anymore? I think that that might have changed. I don't know. There, I know it's something that's being... That's being worked on intently. And the reason for the different extensions is the ability to statically analyze what's coming out there, which is, again, the promise of ESM modules. You just look at the top, and when you've run out of import statements, you can go on to all the files that are being imported and then do that over and over again. And so when you have HTTP2, a browser could collect all of that with having some JavaScript insight and just push all of those as you're requesting them. And you just then again, like the so the promise of the future is a bunch of flat ESM files that are just laid out. You don't have to bundle them anymore. And then the browser loads your first .js request, looks at the headers and says, oh, these are all the imports and then sends you that file and then also starts doing 
socket pushes to push up the additional files as it statically analyzes the imports, which sounds really more complex than what we have today. Like you have to have now intelligence on your on your server and, and everything. So like when I say that ESM modules are have the promise of this, it really does. I mean, there's plans out there to do it. Well, the, the, I mean, the other issue with, with the browser is that in order to do an absolute import, you have to have the absolute URL. Yes, which is messy. Uh-huh. Because there's no mapping right now. Like you can't just say import Lodash. Right, you have to have you have to have the URL. I mean, you could use a base URL, I imagine, but that's it's still it's it's messy, like you said. And so, okay, so back in the day with Dojo, Dojo One, Dojo Toolkit, we would just vendor everything, and a lot of people vendored a lot of things before. Well, you would vendor you would vendor things, and and then, I mean, you you could you could even use node node modules, right? Because we would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you could install Dojo with power. Or bow right. What, what is this power tool? Or um, the CDN, or yeah, or like, the CDN. Yeah. yeah, you could do you could do any of that, but then it didn't matter where it lived because what you did was you set up your your loader config and you told it when I say this module, it lives here, right? And you could do that for for all of your stuff. You could tell it, you know, for for all of my modules, they're going to live here except for X, Y, and Z, like the vendored ones, right? You could do that really easy. That's not there in the in the ESM spec yet. Yeah. So ESM just got import, or it should soon get import. I think it's on all the browsers, and they they have a require or a, a spec proposal for doing some sort of mapping. So after all of this, it'll it'll get us to the point where we have everything that AMD kind of had except plugins, but at least it'll be statically analyzable. So this future server work that's coming out that can understand, or maybe we'll have a manifest of like, uh, you know, a pre-bundle of manifest that says like, hey, when this file's requested, push all these things too. Like that'll speed things up a lot and allow us to work with flat files. But in the next like five or so years as this stuff comes together, we're in this like intermediary state where things are kind of bad and not fun to start a project on. So anyway, yeah, like that... That's another thing I'm trying to solve. Like if you have a browser like WebServe, that's this man in the middle. It can do man in the middle attacks. It can be like, oh, you want to you want Lodash? Well, that file doesn't exist where you're asking for it. So let me check if there's a .js extension. It's like, oh no, it doesn't exist there either. So let me use node modules to resolve it. So let me walk back and look for a node modules folder somewhere and you know serve that file whenever I get there. Like that type of stuff is nice when you're starting starting a project because you can use what's out there and you don't have to like... Like you don't care where it lives. Right. You don't have to resolve all these problems before you, you start your favorite project or your passion project, you know? So yeah, that's, that's where... <laughs> that's, I think that's where a lot of us are right now. It's like if you're, if you're going to start a passion project that involves like Dojo or React or Angular, you have a CLI to do that. But as soon as you get out of those boundaries, things get like pretty scary pretty quick. And then anytime you want to go onto any any of the services like glitch or if you wanted to do even code sandbox, which now offer like a server side component that you can like stand up a server, you're solving all those problems there too. And it just makes it like this huge project that should be something that I always imagined was really simple. Like it it used, I remember being simple to stand up something. Don't you, Brian? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So like the, the setup that, that Nick had, it was something that, 
I believe it was a former engineer of Saipan, Ben Hockey. He came up with, and he and I iterated on it. And then Nick came in and we were like, here, you got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I know exactly what Nick's talking about. Like, I still have scripts to set that up because it's, it's probably not as useful anymore today. Um, I don't remember the last time I, I used it, but I still have Nginx running on my, on my Mac all the time. I still have DNS. I have that running in the background to do the .dev or .test, I think is what I had to change it to because .dev is an actual... It's yeah. a thing now. Mine yeah. stopped working after that now. change. What's that? <laughs> Mine stopped working after that change, and I just never went and fixed it because I don't. Yeah, exactly. It so like it's 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 easy to to stand up something if you have that set up. It should be easy to just. I just want to write an index.html, right? Or maybe two or three pages. It should be easy to just stand that up, and and it's not. In, well, you, in, you can do that pretty pretty. You can do HTML pretty easily. But sure. It's, so, like, I ran into problems when I was I wrote one TypeScript file and I was able to use ESM modules just fine, and then I wrote yeah. a second one that, that the first depended on, and everything blew up. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, and I think I didn't get far, <laughs> but I got sure. Just, I, and I think what's what's interesting is that as we get the more of the module spec in the browsers, like we've got the we've got import now, right? We're going to see better tooling around that. But there's definitely problems that we're gonna have to we're gonna have to solve. And part of me pines for the days of, of AMD where <laughs> I mean you just set up your loader and you said this is here, this is here, this is here, and then everything worked. And you could have different loader configurations for different pages. So if you had, you know, one page that was one level deep and one page that was one level deeper than that, you could just update your config for that second page and just point up two levels to, to different locations. Yeah, well, if it is true that there's some kind of like import mapping functionality coming to yeah. the ES modules, then it seems like we're coming full circle back to to AMD in a lot of ways, but with a nicer a nicer. Which syntax. is a good I thing. Like, it's a good thing, kind for of for sure. Yeah, the thing yeah. that we're missing still, and I don't know what the solution is, is the ability to do real mocking. Because as I understand yeah. ESM modules, it is a a closed box. Like if you're exporting a const file, that const file has a reference in what whatever's importing it, but that reference is a is like a pointer, you know, it points to that that value, and it is not mutable from outside of that module. And and there are tools right now that you can do that with, like like just.mock, for example, uh, is a great example of something where you can say this import when when this is imported for this test change it or give me back a, a stub instead. And then I can fill out exactly how I would want that to run uh, for the test for the test case. So you're not doing a dependency injection. You're really just changing the import during the test. And I haven't looked into exactly how that works, but my guess is that it's relying on the, un, the fact that it's relying on like Webpack or common JS and the fact that, that the modules just are pretty much common JS. So it can do that and change things. And so just the, the, existence of tools like that and the fact that we're all writing code that utilizes them there has to be some native uh way to do that otherwise nobody will ever change and we'll just still be compiling using webpack and and doing all of that to get us the functionality that we need yeah and so this is kind of the promise of of esm modules and and everything but it's it's just something that's not there yet i'm looking forward to using them because it makes things a lot simpler 
and you can actually work on flat files again, like you did kind of with AMD. And after doing all of this, this work on, on this project to, to try to just get things to work like it should, I, I can, I can see the viewpoint sometimes of the, the JavaScript people. They're just like, just write JavaScript and then you can write, you can target what you're directly targeting. Not always like pretty, but you can just say like, Hey, I'm going to vendor all of my JS files that I'm going to use for this thing. And I'm going to get it going in JavaScript and not have to worry about the, a transpile step and a bundle step and serving this, you know, however I'm going to serve this. And, and uh, I was just going to say like one good thing about, about this, like, I, I don't think that any of us are like pining for the old days and wanting to go back to that. I think that like, I'm really happy with where development is right now, but a lot of that is because of these like CLIs and the fact that no one is writing real JavaScript. Even if you're writing like non-TypeScript JavaScript, you're still probably relying on Babel. And so we're all just writing. And if you're writing JSX, right. And if you're writing JSX, you're definitely not writing JavaScript. So like we are all not writing JavaScript, but we are tied by the illusion that we are writing JavaScript. And that's going to be what saves us because ultimately the the compilers uh, and transpilers just need to update to get us to where we need to go and then kind of softly deliver our code there. And, and things like just updating the compilers and the big increase in tools that, that allow you to modify AST, so transforms and things like that, will help to to get us to where we need to go eventually. And we won't necessarily be locked in with major code bases that are just stuck on these weird versions of almost javascript that we are currently writing today well what's what's interesting is that the majority of browsers out there understand the javascript that we write it class syntax is is in browsers you know the spread operator is in browsers the majority of of the javascript that people write aside from I'm not talking about like mixing templates in like with Angular or anything like or JSX, right? Like if you're if you're writing like utility functions and you're using spread operators and 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 those sorts of things, the majority of that stuff is already in your browser and you really don't need a compile step. This was something that that was kind of on display at NEJS. I'm sure it was talked about at JSConf where the browsers have come a long ways and when we when we compile to this job because i mean it used to be that you your target was ie 11 and an old firefox and a chrome and a safari that that they had various levels of the spec implemented in them right where ie 11 is basically dead except in enterprise and then you've got edge which is surprisingly up to date Chrome and then a very a very up to date Firefox as well, which all can run, you know, a, a very they all I- interpret a very up to date spec of JavaScript, right? And the Samsung browser, don't forget them. And the Samsung browser <laughs> and, and and Blink and whatever toy browser you've got, right? All of them run a a a modern JavaScript, and so. Some some of the tooling that we have can actually go away. We don't need to we don't need to compi- compile down to where Babel is taking your your spread operator and either using a utility function or you know writing out what the spread does. You know what I'm saying? Like or or the 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 rest arguments. 
we don't we don't need that anymore for the majority of of use cases. Now, I mean, there's going to be but there's there's always something new. For sure, right, right, right. But what I'm saying is is that if if as uh, developers we're up on how this, I mean, if we're up on the newest versions of the CLI and the CLI has a way to say to Babel or TypeScript, hey, I'm targeting these browsers. I don't need your your extra stuff. You know, I only want the very newest stuff and the browser understands X, Y, and Z, then our tools can get out of the way, which which I think is is kind of one of the, the things that we're, we're talking about here is that we really do want our tools to get out of the way. We, we want to get back to, to writing JavaScript and the browsers come a long way to be able to do that. We're not 100% there, but man, we're, we're a heck of a lot closer. Yeah, the necessity of CLIs for me has been kind of like this this warning flag of like we're getting to a point where regular javascript isn't really a thing and it's it's not working and i i really want us to return back to that because it it frees us from being bound to a certain framework it frees us to to be creative and i started to write webserve to solve some problems like that because you know i I think that everybody basically needs a web server and, and that's kind of where most development starts, especially with the browsers requiring like HTTPS nowadays to access any kind of personal personalization and, and coming from web VR and web XR, you really want to have that available at, at a server level so you can connect from outside devices. It just needs to be simple again in order to kind of spur some sort of creativity and allow us to break outside of those boxes that exist right now. Yeah, Paul, I I completely agree with you. And I think uh, that really sums up what we're trying to get at here with this episode. You know, I don't really know if there's much more that needs to be said. There's a lot coming down the pike for the future of the web. And I'm super excited. If the conferences this summer were any indication of what's, what's in store, then the future looks great. Um, getting there is going to be a little painful. The, you know that the intermediate stage is always is always tough. But I'm hopeful, and you know there's there's guys out there, and you know there's people out there that are thinking about these problems and and uh, thinking about them in ways that we <laughs> that we haven't even thought about them. You know, so yeah, the future is bright. We just have to get to the other end of the tunnel. That's right. We gotta we gotta get through this dark tunnel. With that, I think we're gonna wrap up. Nick, Paul, thanks for sitting down with me and, and talking and this was good. Yeah, good so, to see you all again. All right. And with that, everyone remember to stay type safe. Thanks for listening to the TalkScript Podcast. You can round out your TalkScript experience by viewing our show notes, listening to past episodes subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, and of course, following us on Twitter at TalkScript. We record new episodes every other week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. We've got a good thing going on. Bah, bah, bah.